my day started normal. Or as normal as it ever could at Meriwether College Prep. Okay, hold on. Time out. Is there a... How did I... Is there really a Spider-Man in this? Are you kidding me? <laughs> I missed it completely. I didn't know there was a Spider-Man in this picture. <laughs> I had no idea. Okay. Um, well, uh, everyone, please... <laughs> I'm going to leave it. Please leave the Spider-Man. <laughs> Welcome to the crossover episode. <laughs> I told you. I told you all. I told you all. My Percy Jackson voice is the voice that I would use if I got hired as a voice actor to be like Spider-Man in like one of the games or something. Here's our crossover episode. You'll see. Spider-Man's going to come into this episode in a big way, everyone. No, he's not. <laughs> Oh, boy. Are we fine now? Oh, baby. Oh, no, no, no. Oh, there's so many things that got all out of whack. That's bad news, gang. That's some bad news it is. Um, I guess that means I'm going into this pretty wild. Um, not that that's terribly different from how I do sort of your average week. Charades the whole thing. Oh, yeah! <laughs> so, now I think we should be alright. I think we're- I think we're in the clear now. Ravenclaw for Eva, or Ava? I've- I've heard it both ways. And that's not just me quoting Psych says, wow, this is so exciting. First time here. I've been listening on YouTube for like a year. Hello, everyone. Ravenclaw. Let's hear it for Ravenclaw. Anybody else new in here? I haven't been like, I haven't been watching. I have not been eagle-eyeing chat. Courier6 says, all right, baby. Like I said, I don't think I've seen anybody, but let's hear it. Let's hear it for our new folks. The folks who have caught up on YouTube who are like, you know what? That is a pretty rowdy gang over there. So yeah, maybe I'll go join them. <laughs> Hippie says, I think my keyboard is possessed. Good luck, Hippie. Good luck shucking off my spell. Finally caught up on YouTube. The Kid 64, that's definitely a new name. We got some we got some folks in here, y'all. Ravenclaw Forever wasn't available. Gotcha. Ravenclaw Forever. I gotcha. Okay, so now I've heard it three different ways. Uh, which is not gonna be any good for me and my memory and sort of where that's all at. But you know what? I'm gonna live with it. I also am a Ravenclaw. Cheers to all my Ravenclaws. I did not pre-game my water as I as I have intended to and as I even told somebody else to do on Twitter. But um, I do have to do quite the voice today. I think it's going to be a fairly recognizable one. So this is one where I'm going to open it up and ask uh, after it's not in the first chapter, but in the second chapter. Let me know if you can spot this voice that I use for one of these uh, Lysanders or whatever they're called. I know what they're called. I just don't want to. I don't want to blow anything. Now, y'all. Welcome, it's fantastic to have you. Um, if you are here on Twitch, welcome. If you're watching this on YouTube, hello, how are you? It would be great to have you over in one of the live shows here at some point. You can follow the links down below. It's really just one link. It is the uh, link tree for Sidecar Stories, link tree slash Sidecar Stories, and of course there's a dot right before the two E's. That is the spot to be. That's the central hub of everything Sidecar. That's where you can go to the Discord, where we have all of our discussions. That's where we have the Patreon page, which I am building up now. We have got uh, the Twitch connection there. It is everything you need 
to get to get yourself immersed, to get yourself really, really scuba diving, really snorkeling in the world of Sidecar. Holly Rose, hello, how are you doing? Memnite says, I'm a guest Davy Crockett. Davy Crockett? What would Davy Crockett sound like? <laughs> I was, I was really bad about wearing my retainers. Luckily, things didn't like settle out super wild. There was one point where I had, have I ever talked about this on stream before? At one point I had three rows of teeth. I'd actually dipped into four kind of, but essentially um, my canines grew in and my baby canines w just wouldn't fall out. They just didn't want to go anywhere. Um, and not only that, but I had really crowded front teeth. And so I had like um, my, <laughs> my, my adult canines came in like fangs way higher than they should be and kind of out in front in a very weird way. And so I had those on the outside and then there were incisors sort of layered in behind those. And then <clears throat> those had kind of gotten crowded in with my baby canines. Canines, by the way, are the pointy ones. That was all on one side. It was also, there was another incisor like sort of trying to join the party, sort of trying to get in on that mosh pit in some way. And so, yeah, I had four, four distinct layers of teeth from the outside to the inside. Um, I was indeed a baby shark. Do, 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 do. That's who I was. That's who you are joining here today is a former baby shark, a, a reformed baby shark. <laughs> uh, Biscuit, hello. Thanks for the follow. Welcome to Scooter Patrol. Are you in from, uh, are you in here from YouTube or did you just stumble upon us here? Because if you did stumble upon us, please tell me how. I don't know how people find this stream anymore. I can tell y'all right now, YouTube is not putting this in front of people. I can, I can, uh, you stumbled. Biscuit, where were you? Okay, Biscuit has just become the most important person here, everybody. <laughs> Y'all, uh, YouTube used to, I do want your honest answer, Biscuit, unless you're here to troll me. YouTube used to sort of put my channel in front of people. I could, you can see like YouTube analytics and such. I could see like I was getting, you know, a, a fairly steady increase in overall exposure. People, you know, didn't necessarily like connect with it, but that's true of anybody. Like, you know, you're gonna find stuff you like, you're gonna find stuff you don't like. But I was getting, there was sort of eyes on the channel and I don't wanna be one of those conspiracy guys because they're getting the world in a lot of trouble right now. I'm a little bit more, I'm a little bit more relaxed on becoming one of those conspiracy guys when it comes to uh, corporations doing shady stuff. And as far as I can tell, the moment I started streaming on Twitch, the moment Twitch URLs started popping up in my descriptions and such, they that that went from an upward trend to a downward trend. And so I'm not like I'm not getting put in front of people anymore. Not by YouTube, which means I am relying on you people, all right? You punk ruffians. I'm relying on you. There because y'all are the only way people are gonna see this. Michelle, how'd you do this? <laughs> well, well, yeah, I know I've got like quite the the hardcore Romania following um, because like Gems is just laying, Gems is, Gems is doing work out there. <laughs> um, Biscuit says, see, see, Michelle says, I'm painting and I was looking for someone to listen to and I discover Paige and uh, I saw Percy Jackson. Uh <laughs> I'm, I'm gonna laugh and I'm gonna say thank you very much. <laughs> it's good to have you here. <laughs> See, now I can't forget. Now I'm not gonna be able to forget. That, that, that particular <laughs> chat has gone ahead and solidified your name in my memory. So, Michelle, it's great to have you <laughs> here. <laughs> Welcome to 
Flying Sidecar, which is, of course, our Thursday show. It is a voice actor's venture through some stories we all love. And we are right now, right now, we're starting book two of Percy Jackson and the Olympians. It is called Sea of Monsters. The Sea of Monsters. Excuse me. I've gotten that wrong a couple of times. In my notes, as it were. And, well, I'm excited. Um, <laughs> we, were, we ran through book one really quickly. It was funny how quick it went, as a matter of fact. Um, I don't know if it's just that I've been doing this for a while. Did it also feel super fast to all of y'all? Um, I'd be curious to, to hear about that. <laughs> yeah, Hogwarts if he says, I've gotten private messages from people saying that they've heard my name on YouTube streams. <laughs> See? See? Some famos. That's right. We're making famos here. This is a famo factory. Everyone, the Sea of Monsters. And with this, I think, let's just get into it, right? We got some new people here. I don't want to keep all them waiting. Let's talk a little bit of review, shall we? It felt so fast, Courier 6. Super fast. So, in our last book, it's going to be fast, I promise you. We discover that there is a world of mythology alive and well. It is Greek mythology specifically. Alive and well underneath sort of everyday life. And we catch up with a sixth grader named Percy Jackson. He lives with his mom and his uh, abusive stepdad. And uh, they are, you know, they live a pretty normal life. But Percy has a hard time really sort of getting things... Um, <laughs> uh, uh, sorry, I'm seeing stuff happening in chat. I didn't mean to out you, Gems. I'm sorry. I didn't mean to out you to, <laughs> to what, your students? Who was it? My kids all sent me a message. Wait, are you Gems? <laughs> yeah, Gems, do they know their teacher is one of our famos? Because Gems is definitely on that list too. Um, yeah, hey, if you're a student right now listening in Romania, your teacher is probably great. Now, let's be honest though. If if you've got a teacher anywhere, um, I'm just crossing my fingers that they're great because I am a huge teacher's fan. Just a little sidebar. Anyway, um, Percy lives a pretty normal life, except that he's in trouble quite a bit. Um, he can't really keep up with school and he finds out the reason why. Well, it turns out he is a demigod. He is the son of a human and one of these Greek gods. We don't know who at first. It turns out it's Poseidon and... Percy isn't really showing up to the world of myth at a great time, right? Um, we find out that there is a war brewing between the gods, uh, a World War III sort of event, because Zeus's master bolt is missing. This is like, you know, the original lightning bolt, that kind of thing. One of the most powerful weapons of all time. It's missing. The gods don't know where it is, including Zeus. They're all pretty sure Hades has it. And because the gods can't really mess with each other in this way, it comes down to the demigods, the children of these gods. And off Percy goes to try and stop World War III with his friends, Annabeth, Chase, and Grover. Grover Cleveland. No, I don't... Do we get Grover's last name? I don't remember it at all. It's... <laughs> I'm going to pretend it's Grover Cleveland. But... Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, we follow them on their trek across the United States to the entrance to the underworld, which is, of course, in Los Angeles. They arrive there, find that Hades doesn't know what's going on. It turns out it was Ares the whole time, Ares, god of war, who's going to benefit from a war breaking out between gods and therefore here on the planet Earth. But it's not just Ares. 
Ares is sort of being manipulated like a lot of other people. Who's doing this and why? Turns out it's Kronos, one of the titans. Kind of the head honcho titan and is currently chopped up in little bitty pieces inside a pit in Tartarus. So, kind of out of the way. Seemingly not a problem. And that's what Zeus thinks. Zeus isn't willing to talk about this, but Percy manages to retrieve the things that were stolen and... Yet... Zeus doesn't want to do anything about this Kronos issue. And Percy, upon returning to camp, discovers he had been betrayed by not only one of the gods, but also uh, one of the camp members here, a guy named Luke, who I'm sure we will be catching up with soon because Percy wants to hunt him down and bring him to justice. At the end of the book, Grover goes his way off on a mission to find Pan. Annabeth goes her way. She is going to sort of give it another shot with her father, who's a human. And Percy decides he's going home for the summer. Kind of strange. Um, it's dangerous for him out in the real world, but he's going to be brave and he's going to give it a shot. And that is our review. Everyone, I hope you will enjoy this. I am certainly very, very excited. <laughs> Um, Fabriella, I, I have not seen WandaVision. I know, I know, I know. Don't all of you, don't all of you do it, because I know I'm about to get 400 messages saying, what? I haven't seen it yet. I have not been watching much. I've been editing. Come here. Hold on, come here. Come here, webcam. I can't get any closer. I have been editing a lot. Those, uh, those episodes of The After are taking quite the editing load, and as such, um, I've been spending a lot of my time editing, a lot less time, um, <laughs> a lot less of my time watching any shows. Cass kind of got me caught up with, uh, season one of The Sinner a little bit. That one was interesting. I don't know if I'm gonna, like, really get in there into that one. Um, as, <laughs> as Twitter found out, I have, I have discovered, um, uh, let's see, Food Wars. So, yeah, we'll see. We'll see. Stationary Fork says, The After is so good, Sam. Great job. Thank you so much. Everybody, I'm going to come to you on, not on hands and knees, all right? Because I want you to, I want you to, to sort of find it on your own time. But The After really is the big project that I'm very excited about right now. Um, it, is in, it is only eight episodes. They are all going to be up on YouTube. And frankly, if you're not used to it, I would suggest you go watch the YouTube episodes rather than try to jump into a live show. Um, I am really, really passionate about improvised storytelling. Uh, I love things like Critical Role and uh, uh, the It Me JP channel and uh, Dimension 20. If y'all are interested in things like that or you want to know kind of what all of that is about... The After is going to be a great way to sort of dip your toes into what it is to tell stories around a framework like that. And right now we are telling a story about defying and discovering the apocalypse. We had one of our nuttiest sessions yesterday where we had um, uh, we had episode three in which we are in a plane um, that is that slowly slowly overcome by this thing that has brought the world low. Now, I don't want to get into any spoilers here, but... Um, I hope you all will go and check out The After. If you would like to find out more about that, uh, you can find the playlist over on YouTube. And you know what? I'm just going to go ahead and take a leap of faith that past Sam did anything about this. The After. Did I indeed? Is there a... <laughs> Is there a command in here? Watch me just spam commands hoping I did something in the past. <laughs> Because I'm pretty sure there's not. Okay. Anyway, I will. I will go ahead and you can find it in the uh, playlists channel over in the Discord. 
So you'll be able to find it there anyway. And once, one final time, there we go. <laughs> Hello, Michelle. It's great to meet you as well. Now, everyone, let's get started, shall we? I feel like it's high time. Thank you, Sparkle Love Good. <laughs> Sander! Sander coming in clutch. Sander's like the Link Wizard. <laughs> Thank you, Sander. Alright, everyone, this is... Percy Jackson and the Olympians. The Sea of Monsters, book two. That's eh, book two, The Sea of Monsters, but... Chapter one. My best friend shops for a wedding dress. My nightmare started like this. I was standing in a deserted street in some little beach town. It was the middle of the night. A storm was blowing. Wind and rain ripped at the palm trees along the sidewalk. Pink and yellow stucco buildings lined the street, their windows boarded up. A block away, past a line of hibiscus bushes, the ocean churned. Florida, I thought. I wasn't sure how I knew it. I'd never been to Florida. Then I heard hooves clattering against the pavement. I turned and saw my friend Grover running for his life. Yeah, I said hooves. Grover is a satyr. From the waist up, he looks like a typical gangly teenager with a peach fuzz goatee and a bad case of acne. He walks with a strange limp, but unless you happen to catch him without his pants on, which I do not recommend, you'd never know there was anything unhuman about him. Baggy jeans and fake feet hide the fact that he's got furry hindquarters and hooves. Grover had been my best friend in sixth grade. He'd gone on this adventure with me and a girl named Annabeth to save the world, but I hadn't seen him since last July when he set off alone on a dangerous quest. A quest no satyr had ever returned from. Anyway, in my dream... Grover was hauling goat tail, holding his human shoes in his hands the way he does when he needs to move fast. He clopped back past the little tourist shops and surfboard rental places. The wind bent the palm trees almost to the ground. Grover was terrified of something behind him. He must have just come from the beach. Wet sand was caked in his fur. He'd escaped from somewhere. He was trying to get away from something. A bone-rattling growl cut through the storm. Behind Grover, at the far end of the block, a shadowy figure loomed. It swatted aside a street lamp, which burst in a shower of sparks. Grover stumbled, whimpering in fear. He muttered to himself, I have to get away. I have to warn them. I couldn't see what was chasing him, but I could hear it muttering and cursing. The ground shook as it got closer. Grover dashed around a street corner and faltered. He'd run into a dead end. A courtyard full of shops. No time to back up. The nearest door had been blown open by the storm. The sign above the darkened display window read, St. Augustine's Bridal Boutique. Grover dashed inside. He dove behind a rack of wedding dresses. The monster's shadow passed in front of the shop. I could smell the thing. A sickening combination of wet sheep wool and rotten meat, 
and that weird, sour body odor that only monsters can have, like a, a skunk that's been living off Mexican food. Grover trembled behind the wedding dresses. The monster's shadow passed on. Silence. Except for the rain. Grover took a deep breath. <sighs> Maybe the thing was gone. Then lightning flashed. The entire front of the store exploded and a monstrous voice bellowed, Mine! I sat bolt upright, shivering in my bed. There was no storm, no monster. Morning sunlight filtered through my bedroom window. I thought I saw a shadow flicker across the glass, a human-like shape. But then there was a knock on my bedroom door. My mom called, Percy, you're going to be late. And the shadow at the window disappeared. It must have been my imagination. A fifth-story window with a rickety old fire escape. There couldn't have been anything out there. Come on, dear, my mother called again. It's the last day of school. You should be excited. You have almost made it. Oh, coming, I managed. I felt under my pillow. My fingers closed reassuringly around the ballpoint pen I almost always slept with. I brought it out studied the ancient Greek writing engraved in the side. Anaklusmos. Riptide. I thought about uncapping it, but something held me back. I hadn't used Riptide for so long. Besides, my mom had made me promise not to use deadly weapons in the apartment. After I'd swung a javelin the wrong way and taken out her china cabinet, I put Anaklusmos in my nightstand and dragged myself out of bed. I got dressed quickly as I could. I tried not to think about my nightmare, or monsters, or the shadow at my window. Have to get away. Have to warn them. What had Grover meant? I made a three-fingered claw over my chest and pushed outward. An ancient gesture Grover had once taught me for warning off evil. The dream couldn't have been real. Last day of school. My mom was right. I should have been excited. For the first time in my life, I'd almost made it an entire year without getting expelled. No weird accidents. No fights in the classroom. No teachers turning into monsters and trying to kill me with poisoned cafeteria food or exploding homework. Tomorrow, I'd be on my way to my favorite place in the world. Camp Half-Blood. <sighs> Only one more day to go. Surely, even I couldn't mess that up. Uh, as usual, I didn't have a clue how wrong I was. My mom made blue waffles with blue eggs for breakfast. She's funny that way. Celebrating special occasion with blue food. I, I think it's her way of saying anything is possible. 
Percy can pass seventh grade. Waffles can be blue. Little miracles like that. I ate at the kitchen table while my mom washed dishes. She was dressed in her work uniform. A starry blue skirt and a red and white striped blouse she wore to sell candy at Sweet on America. Her long brown hair was pulled back in a ponytail. The waffles tasted great, but I guess I wasn't digging in like I usually did. My mom looked over and frowned. Uh, Percy, are you all right? Yeah, I'm fine. But she could always tell when something was bothering me. She dried her hands and sat down across from me. Is it school? School or something? She didn't need to finish. I knew what she was asking. I, I, I think Rover's in trouble, I said. I told her about my dream. She pursed her lips. We didn't talk much about the other part of my life. We tried to live as normally as possible, but my mom knew all about Grover. I I wouldn't be too worried, dear, she said. Grover is a big sighter now. If there was a problem, I'm sure we would have heard from, from camp. Hmm. Her shoulders tensed as she said the word camp. Um, what is it? I asked. Nothing, she said. I'll tell you what, this afternoon we'll celebrate the end of school. I'll take you and Tyson to Rockefeller Center to that skateboard shop that you like. Oh, man, that was tempting. We were always struggling with money. Between my mom's night classes and my private school tuition, we could never really afford to do special stuff like shop for a skateboard. But something, something in her voice bothered me. Wait a minute. I said. I thought that we were packing me up for camp tonight. She twisted her dish rag. Um, dear, about that. I got a message from Chiron last night. My heart sank. Chiron was the activities director at Camp Half-Blood. He wouldn't contact us unless something serious was going on. What did he say? He thinks it might not be safe for you to come to camp just yet. We might we might have to postpone. Postpone? Mom, how could it not be safe? I'm a half-blood. It's like the only safe place on the earth for me. Usually, dear, but with the problems that they're having. What problems? Percy, I'm very, very sorry. I was hoping to talk to you about this this afternoon. I, I can't explain it all now. I'm not even sure that Chiron can. Everything happened so suddenly. My mind was reeling. How could I not go to camp? I wanted to ask a million questions, but just then, the kitchen clock chimed the half hour. My mom looked almost relieved. 7.30, dear. You should go. Tyson will be waiting. But... Percy will talk this afternoon. You go on to school. That was the... Last thing I wanted to do, but my mom had this fragile look in her eyes. A kind of warning. Like if I pushed her too hard, she'd start to cry. Besides, she was right about my friend Tyson. I had to meet him at the subway station on time or he'd get upset. He was scared of traveling underground alone. I gathered up my stuff, but I stopped in the doorway. 
Mom, this problem at camp, does it, could it have anything to do with my dream about Grover? She wouldn't meet my eyes. We'll talk this afternoon, dear. I'll explain as much as I can. Reluctantly, I told her goodbye. I jogged downstairs to catch the number two train. I didn't know it at the time, but my mom and I would never get to have our afternoon talk. In fact, I wouldn't be seeing home for a long, long time. As I stepped outside, I glanced at the brown stone building across the street. For a second, I saw a dark shape in the morning sunlight, a human silhouette against the brick wall, a shadow that belonged to no one. Then it rippled and vanished. And this, I'm going to assume, will illuminate for many of you why we are reading three chapters today. First one's pretty short, huh? Chapter one. Chapter one of a new book. This is a fresh feeling, isn't it? <laughs> I don't know how many of our new folks have stuck around, but this is Sidecar Stories. This is what we do here. Um, here on Sidecar Stories, we appreciate stories in all forms, and this is one of my favorites. Um... One of my favorite ways. Uh, I We started with Harry Potter. And uh, if y'all want to find... See, now those, those, I'm pretty confident I've got a, a link in there for. Whether it will pop up. There we go. Yep. So, um, there is the link if you want to go catch up on what this... Uh, sort of where the start of all this happened. But if you're with us right now, everybody, thank you very much for joining me. Um, this is, of course, Flying Sidecar, our Thursday show. A voice actor's venture through some stories we all love. Love. Why'd I say it like that? Turn, turn, <laughs> turn it into, turn it into Professor Sprout back from our last series. What on earth, Mighty Mage? <laughs> I see you. I see what you've done. Van Saves Live says, "I guess he could be a person." I immediately assumed he was like Grover. We're talking about Tyson here because this is a new name, right? We have never heard this name before, but it's a friend of Percy's, and it's not. It's not like Grover in disguise because we're also talking about Grover elsewhere. Who dis? Who dis? No spoilers in chat, but that's the big question on everyone's lips right now. Who is this? Now, it was a really short chapter. I'm not going to take my five-minute break yet. I'm going to take it uh, in between chapters two and three. But, of course, we are in between chapters, which means we are at a point of discussion. I want to know from y'all. What is it I want to know from y'all? What? What? Honestly, we're at the beginning of a book. I want to know what questions you all have. What big questions? Not so much like what's going on here, what's going on with this character, but like before, you know, kind of before we even started this chapter, what were the big questions that you kind of wondered about this series as it moves forward? Honestly, a better way to frame that might be what were the questions, the big questions you had at the end of the last book? When we finished last week, what were the big questions you had kind of about what's going to happen soon? Europa says, who is outside the window? Memnite says, what the heck is the shadow and who the heck is Tyson? Uh, Vane, yes, indeed. There are some spoilers there. There are some indeed. Um, Memnite says, what will our journey be? Is it the Little Mermaid under the sea? Yeah, maybe like <laughs> it's going to be 20,000 leagues under the sea. Um, uh, Van, says, Van says, all my questions are about Luke and Kronos. 
Mighty Mage says, what happened with Hades? Okay, these are some great ones that I wasn't even prepared for. Like the, the Hades question, I think it's an excellent one. I think, yeah, Van, I think that last book really set us up. I do think with these two big questions about these people, what happened to Luke, what happened to Kronos, right? And kind of what's happening with them. How much will this book freak me out? <laughs> says Proteus. Oh boy, I'm hoping it's all right. Um someone was wondering is I don't I didn't see who it was, but someone's wondering is Tyson a sea monster? <laughs> We're going to find out. Does Tyson roll around in a big like a big tank of water? Who knows. Memnite says is Poseidon safe? That's an interesting question. Yeah, what threats might uh might the world be under because of course we know we know Kronos is in this pit in Tartarus plotting plotting and it seems like the plotting phase might even be over uh already trying to be active in the world and and uh yeah it, it may well be related like uh kid 64 saying chiron's prophecy what is that and how does it relate to percy and does it relate to percy and chronos together in some way in combination hmm green lorax that's another interesting question why haven't monsters attacked percy hmm Hmm, excellent questions for all of you. So I want y'all to keep up with that as I go into our next chapter. And as per usual, everyone, if you've got comments, if you've got questions, if you have concerns, please call this 1-800 number. No, I didn't set up a hotline, unfortunately. I would like you to put them in chat because y'all know I love talking about them, right? Y'all know this. At this point, I hope you know it. Otherwise, I have not, I have not done my duty. Let's read chapter two. A uh, quick review for anyone showing up late, as it seems like there very well may be. Chapter one. Percy has a spooky dream where Grover is fleeing from something and is saying, I have to get away, I have to warn them. With how everything sort of has shaken down over the last uh, book, we can guess who he's trying to warn, but we don't know about what. We know nothing about that. Percy wakes up. He's on his last day of school here at his new school. And you know what? He hasn't been kicked out all year. That's pretty wild, right? We don't know why, but he's concerned about this dream. And finally, that's not the last thing on his plate. A couple of odd things. There's been some weird shadows showing up around him. And then finally, there's some news from camp. Percy doesn't know what it is yet, but Chiron apparently got in contact with his mother, which is never a good sign. Let's read chapter two. Percy Jackson and the Olympians, the sea of monsters. Chapter two, I played dodgeball with cannibals. And this, of course, everyone is the one where I want you to guess who this new voice is. I don't think we're going to be spending much time with them necessarily, but hey, it's a recognizable one. I want to give you all a guess. Chapter two, I played dodgeball with cannibals. My day started normal or as normal as it ever gets at Meriwether College Prep. See, this progressive school in downtown Manhattan, it just means we sit on beanbag chairs instead of at desks, and we don't get grades, and the teachers wear jeans and rock concert t-shirts to work. That's all cool with me. I mean, I'm ADHD and dyslexic, like most half-bloods, so I'd never done that great in regular schools, even before they kicked me out. The only bad thing about Merriweather was that the teachers always looked on the bright side of things, and the kids weren't always... Uh, bright. 
take my first class today, English. The whole middle school had read this book called Lord of the Flies, where all these kids get marooned on an island and go psycho. So, for our final exam, our teachers sent us into the breakyard to spend an hour with no adult supervision to see what would happen. What happened was a massive wedgie contest between the 7th and 8th graders, two pebble fights, and a full-tackle basketball game. The school bully, Matt Sloan, led most of those activities. Sloan wasn't big or strong, but he acted like he was. He had eyes like a pit bull, shaggy black hair, and he always dressed in expensive but sloppy clothes, like he wanted everyone to know how little he cared about his family's money. One of his front teeth was chipped from the time he'd taken Daddy's Porsche for a ride and run into a Please Slow Down for Children sign. Anyway, Sloan was giving everybody wedgies until he made the mistake of trying it on my friend Tyson. Tyson was the only homeless kid at Merriweather College Prep. As near as my mom and I could figure, he'd been abandoned by his parents when he was very young. Probably because he was so... different. He was six foot three and built like the abominable snowman, but he cried a lot and was scared of just about everything, including his own reflection. His face was kind of misshapen and brutal looking. I couldn't tell you what color his eyes were because I could never make myself look higher than his crooked teeth. His voice was deep, but he talked funny like a much younger kid. I guess because he'd never gone to school before coming to Merriweather? He wore tattered jeans, grimy size 20 sneakers, and a plaid flannel shirt with holes in it. He smelled like a New York City alleyway because that's where he lived, in a cardboard refrigerator box off of 72nd Street. Merriweather Prep had adopted him as a community service project so all the students could feel good about themselves. Unfortunately, most of them couldn't stand Tyson. Once they discovered he was a big softy, despite his massive strength and scary looks, they made themselves feel good by picking on him. I was pretty much his only friend, which meant he was my only friend. My mom had complained to the school a million times that they weren't doing enough to help him. She'd called social services, but nothing ever seemed to happen. The social workers claimed Tyson didn't exist. They swore up and down they'd visited the alley where we described and couldn't find him. Though how you miss a giant kid living in a refrigerator box, I don't know. Anyway, Matt Sloan snuck up behind him and tried to give him a wedgie, and Tyson panicked. He swatted Sloan away a little too hard. Sloan flew 15 feet and got tangled in the little kid's tire swing. You freak, Sloan yelled. Why don't you go back to your cardboard box? Tyson started sobbing. He sat down in the jungle gym so hard he bent the bar and buried his head in his hands. Hey, take it back, Sloan. Sloan just sneered at me. Why do you even bother, Jackson? You might have friends if you weren't always sticking up for that freak. I balled up my fists. I hoped my face wasn't as red as it felt. He's not a freak. He's just... I tried to think of the right thing to say, but Sloane wasn't listening. He and his big, ugly friends were too busy laughing. I wondered if it were my imagination, or if Sloane had more goons hanging around him than usual. I was used to seeing him with two or three, but today he had like half a dozen more, and I'm pretty sure I'd never seen them before. 
just wait until P.E. Jackson, Sloan called. You are so dead. When first period ended, our English teacher, Mr. DeMilo, came outside to inspect the carnage. He'd pronounced that we'd understood Lord of the Flies perfectly. We all passed his course, and we should never, ever grow up to be violent people. Matt Sloan nodded earnestly, then gave me a chip-tooth grin. I had to promise to buy Tyson an extra peanut butter sandwich at lunch to get him to stop sobbing. Um, I am a freak, he said to me. No, I promised, gritting my teeth. Matt Sloan's a freak. Tyson sniffled. You are a good friend. Miss you next year if... If I can't... His voice trembled. I realized he didn't know if he'd be invited back next year for the community service project. I wondered if the headmaster had even bothered talking to him about it. Hey, don't, don't, don't worry, big guy, I managed. Everything's gonna be fine. Tyson gave me such a grateful look, I felt like a big liar. How could I promise a kid like him that everything would be fine? Our next exam was science. Mrs. Tesla told us that we had to mix the chemicals until we succeeded in making something explode. Tyson was my lab partner. His hands were way too big for the tiny vials we were supposed to use. He accidentally knocked a tray of chemicals off the counter and made an orange mushroom cloud into the trash can. After Mrs. Tesla evacuated the lab and called the hazardous waste removal squad, she praised Tyson and me for being natural chemists. We were the first ones who had ever aced her exam in under 30 seconds. I was glad the morning went fast because it kept me from thinking too much about my problems. I couldn't stand the idea that something might be wrong at camp. Even worse, I couldn't shake the memory of my bad dream. I had a terrible feeling that Grover was in danger. In social studies, while we were drawing latitude-longitude maps, I opened my notebook and stared at the photo inside. My friend Annabeth on vacation in Washington, D.C. She was wearing jeans and a denim jacket over her orange Camp Half-Blood t-shirt. Her blonde hair was pulled back in a bandana. She was standing in front of the Lincoln Memorial with her arms crossed, looking extremely pleased with herself, like she'd personally designed the place. See, Annabeth wants to be an architect when she grows up, so she's always visiting famous monuments and stuff. She's weird that way. She'd emailed me the picture after spring break, and every once in a while I'd look at it just to remind myself she was real, and Camp Half-Blood hadn't been my imagination. I wished Annabeth was here. She'd know what to make of my dream. I'd never admit it to her, but she was smarter than me, even if she was annoying sometimes. I was about to close my notebook when Matt Sloan reached over and ripped the photo out of the rings. Hey! I protested. Sloan checked the picture, and his eyes got wide. No way, Jackson. Who is that? She's not your... Give it back! My ears felt hot. 
Sloane handed the photo to his ugly buddies, who snickered and started ripping it up to make spit wads. They were new kids who must have been visiting, because they were all wearing these stupid, Hi, my name is... tags from the front office. They must have had a weird sense of humor, too, because they'd all been filled in with strange names like Marrow Sucker, Skull Eater, and Joe Bob. No human beings had names like that. These guys are moving here next year, Sloane bragged like that was supposed to scare me. I bet they can pay the tuition, too, unlike your idiot friend. He's not... I had to try really, really hard not to punch Sloane in the face. You're such a loser, Jackson. Good thing I'm going to put you out of your misery next period. His huge buddies chewed up my photo. I wanted to pulverize them, but I was under strict orders from Chiron never to take my anger out on regular mortals, no matter how obnoxious they were. I had to save my fighting for monsters. Still, part of me thought, if Sloane only knew who I really was. The bell rang. As Tyson and I were leaving class, a girl's voice whispered, Percy. I looked around the locker area, but nobody was paying any attention. Like any girl at Merriweather would ever be caught dead calling my name. Before I had time to consider whether or not I'd been imagining things, a group of kids rushed for the gym, carrying Tyson and me along with them. It was time for P.E. Our coach had promised us a free-for-all dodgeball game, and Matt Sloan had promised to kill me. The gym uniform at Merriweather is sky-blue shorts and tie-dye t-shirts. Fortunately, we did most of our athletic stuff inside, so we didn't have to jog through Tribeca looking like a bunch of boot camp hippie children. I changed as quickly as I could in the locker room because I didn't want to deal with Sloane. I was about to leave when Tyson called... Percy? He hadn't changed yet. He was standing by the weight room door, clutching his gym clothes. Will you... um... Oh, yeah. I tried not to sound aggravated about it. Yep, sh sure, man. Tyson ducked inside the weight room. I stood guard outside while he changed. I felt kind of awkward doing this, but he asked me to most days. I think it's because he's completely hairy and he's got weird scars on his back that I've never had the courage to ask him about. Anyway... I'd learned the hard way that if people teased Tyson while he was dressing out, he'd get upset and start ripping the doors off lockers. When we got into the gym, Coach Nunley was sitting on his little desk reading Sports Illustrated. Nunley was about a million years old, with bifocals and no teeth and a greasy wave of gray hair. He reminded me of the Oracle at Camp Half-Blood, which was a shriveled-up mummy, except Coach Nunley moved a lot less, and he never billowed green smoke. Uh, uh, at least not that I have observed. Matt Sloan said, Coach, can I be captain? <laughs> Coach Nunley looked up from his magazine. <laughs> yeah, he mumbled. <laughs> Sloan grinned and took charge of the picking. He made me the other team's captain, but it didn't matter who I picked, because all the jocks and the popular kids moved over to Sloan's side. So did the big group of visitors. 
On my side, I had Tyson, Corey Baylor, the computer geek, Raj Mandali, the calculus whiz, and a half dozen other kids who always got harassed by Sloan and his gang. Normally, I would have been okay with just Tyson. He was worth half a team all by himself, but the visitors on Sloan's team were almost as tall and strong-looking as Tyson, and there were six of them. Matt Sloan spilled a cage full of balls in the middle of the gym. Scared, Tyson mumbled. Smell funny. I looked at him. What What smells funny? Because I didn't figure he was talking about himself. Them? Tyson pointed at Sloan's new friends. Smell funny. The visitors were cracking their knuckles, eyeing us like it was slaughter time. I couldn't help wondering where they were from, someplace where they fed kids raw meat and beat them with sticks. Sloan blew the coach's whistle, and the game began. Sloan's team ran to the center line. On my side, Raj Mandali yelled something in Urdu, probably, I have to go potty, and ran for the exit. Corey Baylor tried to crawl away behind the mat and hide. The rest of the team did their best to cower in fear and not look like targets. Tyson, I said, let's go. A ball slammed into my gut. I sat down hard in the middle of the gym floor. The other team exploded with laughter. My eyesight was fuzzy. I felt like I'd just gotten the Heimlich maneuver from a gorilla. I couldn't believe anybody could throw that hard. Tyson yelled, Percy, duck! I rolled as another dodgeball whistled past my ear at the speed of sound. It hit the wall mat and Corey Baylor yelped. Hey! I yelled at Sloan's team. You could kill somebody. The visitor named Joe Bob grinned at me evilly. Somehow he looked a lot bigger now, even taller than Tyson. His biceps bulged underneath his t-shirt. I hope so, Perseus Jackson. I hope so. The way that he said my name sent a chill down my back. Nobody called me Perseus except those who knew my true identity, friends and enemies. What was it that Tyson said? They smell funny. Monsters. All around Matt Sloan, the visitors were growing in size. They were no longer kids. They were eight-foot-tall giants with wild eyes, pointy teeth, and hairy arms tattooed with snakes and hula women and valentine hearts. Matt Sloan dropped his ball. Why? You're not from Detroit. Who? The other kids on his team started screaming and backing toward the exit, but the giant named Marrow Sucker threw a ball with deadly accuracy. It streaked past Raj Mandali just as he was about to leave, then hit the door, slamming it shut as if by magic. Raj and some of the other kids banged on it desperately, but it wouldn't budge. Hey, you let him go, I yelled at the giants. The one called Joe Bob growled at me. He had a tattoo on his biceps that said, JB loves baby cakes. And lose our tasty morsels. No, son of the sea god. We Lestragonians aren't just playing for your death. We want lunch. He waved his hand and a new batch of dodgeballs appeared on the center line. But these dodgeballs weren't made of red rubber. They were bronze. 
the size of cannonballs, perforated like wiffle balls with fire bubbling out of the holes. They must have been searing hot, but the giants picked them up with their bare hands. Uh, coach, I yelled. None they looked up sleepily, but if he saw anything abnormal about the dodgeball game, he didn't let on. That's the problem with mortals. A magical force called the mist obscures the true appearance of monsters and gods from their vision. So, mortals tend to see only what they can understand. Maybe the coach saw a few eighth graders pounding the younger kids like usual. Maybe the other kids saw Matt Sloan's thugs getting ready to toss Molotov cocktails around. It wouldn't have been the first time. At any rate, I was pretty sure nobody else realized we were dealing with genuine, man-eating, bloodthirsty monsters. <laughs> yeah, Coach muttered. Nice. And he went back to his magazine. The giant named Skull Eater threw his ball. I dove aside as the fiery bronze comet sailed past my shoulder. Cory! I screamed. Tyson pulled him out from behind the exercise mat just as the ball exploded against it, blasting the mat into smoking shreds. Run! I told my teammates. The other exit! They ran for the locker room, but with another wave of Joe Bob's hand, that door also slammed shut. Nobody leaves unless you're out, Joe Bob roared. And you're not out until we eat ya. He launched his own fireball. My teammates scattered as it blasted a crater in the gym floor. I reached for Riptide, which I always kept in my pocket, but then I realized I was wearing gym shorts. I had no pockets. Riptide was tucked into my jeans inside my gym locker. And the locker room door was sealed. I was completely defenseless. Another fireball came streaking toward me. Tyson pushed me out of the way, but the explosion still blew me head over heels. I found myself sprawled on the gym floor, dazed from smoke, my tie-dye t-shirt peppered with sizzling holes. Just across the center line, two hungry giants were glaring down at me. Flesh! They bellowed. Hero flesh for lunch! They both took aim. Percy needs help, Tyson yelled, and he jumped in front of me just as they threw their balls. Tyson! I screamed, but it was too late. Both balls slammed into him, but no, he'd caught them. Somehow Tyson, who was so clumsy he knocked over lab equipment and broke playground structures on a regular basis, had caught two fiery metal balls speeding toward him at a zillion miles per hour. He sent them hurtling back toward the surprised owners who screamed, Bad! as the bronze spheres exploded against their chests. The giants disintegrated in twin columns of flame. A sure sign that they were monsters, all right. Monsters don't die. They just dissipate into smoke and dust, which saves heroes a lot of trouble cleaning up after a fight. My brothers! <laughs> Joe Bob the cannibal wailed. He flexed his muscles and his baby cakes tattoo rippled. You will pay for their destruction. Dyson, I said. Look out! Another comet hurtled towards us. Tyson had just had time to swat it aside. It flew straight over Coach Nunley's head and landed in the bleachers with a huge... <laughs> Kids were running around screaming, trying to avoid the sizzling craters on the floor. 
Others were banging on the door, calling out for help. Sloan himself stood petrified in the middle of the court, waiting in disbelief as balls of death flew around him. Coach Nunley wasn't seeing anything. He tapped his hearing aid like the explosions were giving him interference, but he kept his eyes on his magazine. Surely the whole school could hear the noise. The headmaster, the police, somebody would come help us. Victory will be ours, roared Joe Bob the Cannibal. We will feast on your bones. I wanted to tell him he was taking dodgeball way too seriously, but before I could, he hefted another ball. The other three giants followed his lead. I knew we were dead. Dyson couldn't deflect all those at once. His hands had to be seriously burned from blocking that first volley. Without my sword, I had a crazy idea. I ran toward the locker room. Move, I told my teammates. Away from the door. Explosions behind me. Tyson had batted two of the balls back toward their owners and blasted them to ashes. That left two giants still standing. A third ball hurtled straight toward me. I forced myself to wait. One Mississippi, two Mississippi, and then dived as the fiery sphere demolished the locker room door. Now, I figured that the built-up gas in the boys' locker rooms was enough to cause an explosion, so I wasn't surprised when the flaming dodgeball ignited a huge... The wall flew apart. Locker doors, socks, athletic supporters, and many other various nasty belongings rained all over the gym. I turned just in time to see Tyson punch Skull Leader in the face. The giant crumpled, but the last giant, Joe Bob, had wisely held on to his own ball, waiting for an opportunity. He threw just as Tyson was turning to face him. No! I yelled. The ball caught Tyson square in the chest. He slid the length of the court and slammed into the back wall, which cracked and partially crumbled on top of him, making a hole right into Church Street. I didn't see how Tyson could be alive, but he only looked dazed. The bronze ball was smoking at his feet. Tyson tried to pick it up, but he fell back, stunned, into a pile of cinder blocks. Well, Joe Bob gloated, I'm the last one standing. I'll have enough meat to bring baby cakes a doggy bag. He picked up another ball and aimed it at Tyson. Stop, I yelled. It's me that you want. The giant grinned. You wish to die first, young hero. I had to do something. Riptide had to be around here somewhere. Then I spotted my jeans and a smoking heap of clothes right by the giant's feet. If I could only get there. I knew it was hopeless, but I charged. The giant laughed. <laughs> my lunch approaches. He raised his arm to throw. I braced myself to die. Suddenly, the giant's body went rigid. His expression changed from gloating to surprise. Right where his belly button should have been, his t-shirt ripped open and grew to something like a horn. No, not a horn. The glowing tip of a blade. The ball dropped out of his hand. The monster stared down at the knife that had just run him through from behind. He muttered, Ow! 
and burst into a cloud of green flame, which I figured was going to make baby cakes pretty upset. Standing in the smoke was my friend Annabeth. Her face was grimy and scratched. She had a ragged backpack slung over her shoulder, her baseball cap tucked in her pocket, a bronze knife in her hand, and a wild look in her storm-gray eyes, like she'd just been chased a thousand miles by ghosts. Matt Sloan, who'd been standing there dumbfounded the whole time, finally came to his senses. He blinked at Annabeth as if he dimly recognized her from my notebook picture. That's the girl, that's, that's the, that's the... Annabeth punched him in the nose and knocked him flat. And you, she told him, lay off my friend. The gym was in flames. Kids were still running around screaming. I heard sirens wailing and a garbled voice over the intercom. Through the glass windows of the exit doors, I could see the headmaster, Mr. Bonsai, wrestling with the lock. A crowd of teachers piled up behind him. Annabeth, I stammered. How did you... How long have you... Um, pretty much all morning. She sheathed her bronze knife. I've been trying to find a good time to talk to you, but you were never alone. The shadow that I saw this morning, that was... My face felt hot. Oh my god, you were looking in through my bedroom window? There's no time to explain, she snapped, although she did look a little red-faced herself. I just didn't want to... There! A woman screamed. The doors burst open and the adults came pouring in. Meet me outside, Annabeth told me. And him. She pointed to Tyson, who was still sitting dazed against the wall. Annabeth gave him a look of distaste that I didn't quite understand. You better bring him. What? No time, she said. Hurry. She put on her Yankees baseball cap, which is a magic gift from her mom, and instantly disappeared. That left me standing alone in the middle of the burning gymnasium when the headmaster came charging in with half the faculty and a couple of police officers. Percy Jackson, Mr. Bonsai said. What? How? Over by the broken wall, Tyson groaned and stood up from the pile of cinder blocks. Head hurts. Matt Sloan was coming around, too. He focused on me with a look of terror. Percy did it, Mr. Bonsai. He set the whole building on fire. Coach Nunley will tell you he saw the whole thing. Coach Nunley had been dutifully reading his magazine, but just my luck. He chose that moment to look up when Sloan had mentioned his name. Um, uh, yeah. Mm-hmm. The other adults turned toward me. I knew they would never believe me, even if I could tell them the truth. I grabbed Riptide out of my ruined jeans, told Tyson, Come on, and jumped through the gaping hole in the side of the building. And that is the end of our second chapter. Once again, this book does not wait long to get us into get us into the uh, the trouble of it all. Um, it's an excellent question, Green Lorax. What's going on with Tyson here? Why? What? What's what's the deal with Tyson? 
Who knows? Well, I know. And I'm sure many of you in chat know as well. Try to keep the spoilers over in the Discord, por favor. And of course, you can find the link to the Discord in the YouTube description or right here in chat right now. So, Van Saves Live says, things are definitely uh, eventful, much faster than the first one. This is moving pretty quickly, right? We've had our first attack here, although, you know, this being a sequel and being who Percy Jackson is... I think we can guess that, you know, Percy was kind of in for it. He was up for an attack, possibly even sooner. It's a little surprising, frankly, that uh, he lasted this long without having something kind of show up to give him a hard time. Now, for those of you who are wondering what on earth Sam might be doing, well, Sam uh, trimmed up his beard earlier today, which means that I've got, like, one little hair somewhere that is just insisting on poking, poking me in the neck like like it's its job or something oh i found you i found you uh 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 gonna wrestle with it this is so wild i didn't realize how dumb this was gonna look okay all right did i get it i got it whoo man that is it is the worst uh of course <laughs> y'all as y'all can see this is a pretty low pressure affair if that's the worst but yeah it's the worst um uh, Jem said, my Twitch died for a minute. Oh, Rotro, welcome back. <laughs> what does that mean, Van Saves Lives? What are you talking about? <laughs> what what impressed you? Um, so, stay, yeah, Stationer Fork says, nothing more annoying than a rogue hair, especially when it's stuck in your collar and stabbing you in the neck. <clears throat> I'm going to turn into one of these cannibals. I don't know why I said that. Why would, that, <laughs> why would getting poked in the neck <laughs> with a hair turn me into a cannibal? Anyway, y'all, uh, welcome back to Percy Jackson in a big way. Uh, so, a, an attack by cannibals. Um, they even gave a name, a title? What was it they said again? Well, we're going to find a little bit more about them from Annabeth. So, I'm not going to go into that too deeply right now. Uh, but we can see that Percy's... Percy's hero instincts have definitely developed. And don't forget, folks, that was chapters two out of three for today. So hang out, hang around. We're going to be reading another chapter here in a moment. Um, I do need to leave you all with a chatterbreak question, though. So um, Percy's battlefield instincts, his hero instincts are really kicking in, right? His first thought with these things is not to run away. It's not to try and, um, you know, just to, to try and sort of, he doesn't fight selfishly either. His first instinct is to get people safe. And it looks like he manages to do that in a pretty decent way. Of course, um, Tyson is, Tyson's kind of wilding out here, right? Tyson's got the power um, and is instrumental in making sure that Percy has any ability to fight these things off. But um, the monsters are dead, which means that monsters are once more coming after Percy. Why? Why now? And I think that's going to be our chatter break question. You know, we've been through a whole school year here. The big question at the end of the last book was, is Percy going to stay at school? at uh, Camp Half-Blood where he's safe or is he going to go back for the um, for the, the the school season essentially is he going to go back and live with his mom it's much more dangerous for him outside camp Camp Half-Blood is really the only place he's particularly safe and he chose to chose to go out into the dangerous world as opposed to staying safe and yet no attacks why now so there is our big chatter break question as per usual I have a five minute break 
Y'all go ahead and handle that chatter break question. I'm going to go ahead and uh, I want to see what you've been talking about when I get back. So I'll be back with you in just a moment. Everyone, it has been glorious so far. Welcome to a new book. It's great to be really sinking our teeth into it now. Really looking forward to how everyone develops over time. Um, and, uh, you know, what What mysteries we may solve in this edition of Flying Sidecar. Y'all, I'll see you in five minutes. Bye-bye. Hello everyone. Welcome back. I try to come in. I try, I try to come in a little soft, so that uh, I don't freak anybody out. Especially over on Discord, where they don't have the interim music like fading out to know that I'm going to be here again in just a moment. Um, by the way, how's everybody doing? Over in Discord, I can see we've got Jade Dragon. I'm seeing Joseph Hartzler. I'm seeing Louise the Goat Lady. I'm seeing MMP Sander Mighty Monkey. A healthy, a healthy crew over there. And of course, over here on Twitch, we have got, uh, well, we've got a bunch of folks. And unfortunately, I don't have a great way of seeing who all of you are. So, y'all, how you doing? How do we feel about this, our big cheddar break question? Why now? Why wasn't Percy getting attacked before? Why is he today? <laughs> Van says, 55 famos all in Twitch. How's it going, Hearthook? Hello. Uh, Sandra says, uh, wherever we go, adventure will follow us. Yeah, that's kind of my, it's like my, my dungeon world mantra. Let's see. Let's see. Uh, Europa says, the cannibals uh, are from the Odyssey, so we're preparing for sea adventures in this book. Hmm, interesting. I like that theory. I like the theory a lot. Uh, sea of Monsters, I like um, your sort of like connecting it to other lore. Um, I'm also curious like how many of y'all have decided you're going to go and take a, even if it's just like a, a Wikipedia deep dive, how many of y'all have jumped in and done some some uh, mythology research since we got started here? The Bean Queen just got home. I just had my first successful round one phone interview. Yeah. <laughs> okay, cool. Play by play. I want to know every moment. I want to know every every dial tone, every button press. I don't know. Because you're probably right. There's probably not a great play by play for a phone interview. That's right. I'm going to get one anyway. So <laughs> we are in between chapters two and three uh, today of our of our second book here. It continues to be very exciting. Um, Hannah, like I said, it's great to have you back. Uh, right now, we're talking about why now. Why is it that Percy has just gotten attacked after having a pretty clean year, a pretty monster-free year? Let's see. Let's see what else has been going on here. Watching. Uh, Aaron says, I've been watching a mini-series about Greek myths. Excellent. Uh, Frizz, Bean Queen has been working late just about every day. Yeah, it's, it's wild here. Um, yeah, this is not an uncommon time for Bean Queen to be coming back home anymore it's not great it's not great gang <laughs> lorax says uh let's see smuggle we talk about smuggling titans interesting dahlia says heck yeah mama cass <laughs> heck yeah, dahlia. i don't know if y'all heard that but uh she just shouted from the kitchen heck yeah dahlia um let's see let's see and frankly okay i'm seeing a lot of like people replying to other people and i just want to say that's that does my heart good 
That's exactly what I hope that these Chatterbreak questions would do. Would would uh, you know? I I like talking to y'all about it, and I like when y'all talk to me about it. But that y'all are talking about it to each other, I think that's the most exciting. We've hit the pinnacle, everyone. It's smooth sailing from here. My job is done. That's all right. We're shutting down. The- that's it. That's it, folks. Everything's over. No, that's not true. Um, no, I'm very excited. So. We've got a big question. We don't have a lot of answers. Perhaps we will find out in our next chapter here. Chapter three, we hail the taxi of eternal torment. First, of course, we have to do some review. So in our last chapter, um, we are back at Percy with his last day at school. Should be a pretty joyous occasion. He's had a pretty good school year, but doesn't seem like it's going to go down like that. We've got this school bully, Matt Sloan, which many of you did recognize, of course, as my Malfoy voice. Um, but that actually wasn't... I actually went into the Malfoy voice... Um, I had a different voice picked out for that character, and then I realized, oh, no, Malfoy's way too perfect. I must go for Malfoy for Matt Sloan here. Um... And then the one I was actually asking at the start of the chapter, whether or not y'all would recognize, uh, somebody did pick it out. It is indeed my very bad Macho Man Randy Savage, because y'all know me. I can do some some voice acting. I cannot do some impressions. I'm real bad at it. There are like three that I'm okay at. So not going to be a great day. They're in gym class, and some of Matt Sloan's friends are not looking normal. We meet um, uh, Percy's new friend, Tyson. Uh, someone who does not appear does not appear to get very much respect here at school. Um, he is uh, homeless, and frankly, it doesn't seem like they are paying much attention. Oh, it doesn't seem like the school in general pays much attention to him. Certainly not getting the support that he needs. Um, so, I just pulled my glasses off and they broke. So, I'm going to go ahead and try to sort that out for a moment here. Um, <laughs> while, I do, while I finish off my review... Um, uh, as we follow Percy and Tyson through their day, Percy continues to see these odd little incidents with this shadow. The shadow seems to be kind of present. He even hears a whisper of his name. He isn't quite sure what's going on, but, um, they end up in gym class. In gym class, they're playing dodgeball, and this is when we find out, oh, yep, Percy's still living the, uh, the hero life, even though he's had a pretty, pretty pretty calm year. Um, These strange friends of Matt Sloan's turn out to be a bunch of giants, essentially. And not only that, but cannibals. Um, They start by eating a picture of Annabeth, and then they proceed to try and kill a bunch of middle school students um, who are in this dodgeball game, and they intend to eat Percy and his friends for lunch. They do not succeed in doing so, because it turns out that as, as BA, as like as as awesome as Percy is, so too is Tyson somehow. Um, catching these like flaming bronze uh, spheres that are being hurled at them by giants, literal giants. Tyson's throwing down. And finally, uh, they are rescued from the very last uh, giant by Annabeth. As she shows up, she gets the last giant in the back and says, look, le- meet me outside. Percy realizing, all right, well, there's another school been kicked out of. There's a, there's a huge, you know, there are a bunch of terrified students. Um, there, there are like, there's a hole in the wall leading out to the street. I can pretty well guess I'm not coming back here next year. So that's where we're at. And that is where we begin our next chapter. Chapter three. We hail the taxi of eternal torment. Annabeth was waiting for us in an alley down Church Street. 
She pulled Tyson and me off the sidewalk just as a fire truck screamed past, heading for Merriweather Prep. Where did you find him? She demanded, pointing at Tyson. Now, under different circumstances, I would have really been happy to see her. We'd made our peace last summer, despite the fact that her mom was Athena. Didn't get along well with my dad. I missed Annabeth probably more than I wanted to admit. But I had just been attacked by cannibal giants. Tyson had saved my life three or four times, and all Annabeth could do was glare at him like he was a problem. He's my friend, I told her. Is he homeless? What does that have to do with anything? He can hear you, you know. Why don't, why don't you ask him? She looked surprised. He can talk? I talk, Tyson admitted. You are pretty. <sighs> Gross, Annabeth stepped away from him. I couldn't believe she was being so rude. I examined Tyson's hands, which I was pretty sure must have been badly scorched by the flaming dodgeballs, but they looked fine. Grimy and scarred, with dirty fingernails the size of potato chips, but they always looked like that. Uh, Tyson? I said in disbelief. Your hands aren't even burned. Of course not, Annabeth muttered. I'm surprised the Lestragonians had the guts to attack you with him around. Tyson seemed fascinated by Annabeth's blonde hair. He tried to touch it, but she smacked his hand away. Uh, Annabeth, I said. What are you talking about? Leistra what? Leistragonians, the monsters in the gym. They're a race of giant cannibals who live in the far north. Odysseus ran into them once, but I've never seen them as far south as New York before. Leister, I can't even say that. What, what do you call them in English? She thought about it for a moment. Canadians, she decided. Now come on, we have to get out of here. The police are going to be after me. That's the least of our problems, she said. Have you been having the dreams? The dream about Grover? Her face turned pale. Grover? No, what about Grover? I told her my dream. Why? What are you dreaming about? Her eyes looked stormy, like her mind was racing a million miles an hour. Camp, she said at last. Big trouble at camp. My mom was saying the same thing, but what kind of trouble? I don't know exactly. Something's wrong. We have to get there right away. Monsters have been chasing me all the way from Virginia, trying to stop me. Have you had a lot of attacks? I shook my head. None all year, until today. None? But how... Her eyes drifted to Tyson. Oh. What do you mean, oh? Tyson raised his hand like he was still in class. Canadians in the gym... Called Percy something... Hmm. Hmm. Son of the sea god? Annabeth and I exchanged looks. I didn't know how I could explain, but I figured Tyson deserved the truth after almost getting killed. Okay, big guy, I said. You ever hear those old stories about Greek myths? Like Zeus, Poseidon, Athena? Yes, Tyson said. 
Well, those gods are still alive. They kind of follow Western civilization around, living in the strongest countries, like, so right now they're in the U.S., and sometimes they've got kids with mortals, kids called half-bloods. Yes, Tyson said, like he was still waiting for me to get to the point. Uh, uh, okay, Annabeth and I are half-bloods, I said. We're like heroes in training, and whenever monsters pick up our scent, they attack us. That's what those giants were in this gym. They were monsters. Yes. I stared at him. He didn't seem surprised or confused by what I was telling him, which surprised and confused me. So... Uh, you believe me? Tyson nodded. But you are... Hmm, son of the sea god? Yeah, I admitted. My dad's Poseidon. Tyson frowned. Now he looked confused. <sighs> but then... A siren wailed. A police car raced past our alley. We don't have time for this, Annabeth said. We'll talk in the taxi. A taxi all the way to camp? I said. Do you know how much money? Trust me. I hesitated. Okay, what about Tyson? I imagined escorting my giant friend into Camp Half-Blood. If he freaked out on a regular playground with regular bullies, how would he act at a training camp for demigods? On the other hand, the cops would be looking for us. We can't just leave him, I decided. He'll be in trouble, too. Yeah, Annabeth looked grim. We definitely need to take him. Now come on. I didn't like the way she said that, as if Tyson were a big disease that needed to be taken to the hospital, but I followed her down the alley. Together, the three of us sneaked through the wide streets of downtown while a huge column of smoke billowed up behind us from my school gymnasium. Here. Annabeth stopped us in the corner of Thomas and Trimble. She fished around in her backpack. I hope I have one left. She looked even worse than I realized at first. Her chin was cut. Twigs and grass were tangled in her ponytail as if she'd slept several nights in the open. The slashes on the hems of her jeans looked suspiciously like claw marks. What is it you're looking for? I asked. All around us, sirens wailed. I figured it wouldn't be long before more cops cruised by, looking for juvenile delinquent gym bombers. No doubt Matt Sloan had given them a statement by now. He'd probably twisted the story around so that Tyson and I were the bloodthirsty cannibals. Oh, I found one. Oh, thank the gods. Annabeth pulled out a gold coin that I recognized as a drachma, the currency of Mount Olympus. It had Zeus's likeness stamped on one side and the Empire State Building on the other. Uh, Annabeth? I said. New York taxi drivers won't take that. Stay, the she shouted in ancient Greek. Oanma diabores. As usual, the moment she spoke in the language of Olympus, I somehow understood it. She had said, Stop, chariot of damnation. 
That didn't exactly make me feel real excited about what her plan was. She threw the coin down into the street. But instead of clattering on the asphalt, the drachma sank right through and disappeared. For a moment, nothing happened. Then, just where the coin had fallen, the asphalt darkened. It melted into a rectangular pool about the size of a parking space, bubbling red liquid like blood. And then a car erupted from the ooze. It was a taxi, all right, but unlike any other taxi in New York. It wasn't yellow. It was smoky gray. I mean, it looked like it was woven out of smoke, like you could walk right through it. There were words printed on the door, something like, Gyar Ciceris, but my dyslexia made it hard for me to decipher what it said. The passenger window rolled down, and an old woman stuck her head out. She had a mop of grizzled hair covering her eyes, and she spoke in a weird, mumbling way, like she just had a shot of Novocaine. Passage? Passage? Three to Camp Half-Blood. Annabeth said. She opened the cab's back door and waved at me to get in. Like this was all completely normal. Ah! The old woman screeched. We don't take his kind. She pointed a bony finger at Tyson. What was it? Pick on big and ugly kids day? Extra pay, Annabeth promised. Three more drachma on arrival. Done, the woman screamed. Reluctantly, I got into the cab. Tyson squeezed into the middle. Annabeth crawled in last. The interior was also smoky gray, but it felt solid enough. The seat was cracked and lumpy, no different than most taxis. There was no plexiglass screen separating us from the old lady driving. Wait, wait, wait a minute. There wasn't just one old lady. There were three, all crammed into the front seat, each with stringy hair covering her eyes, bony hands, and a charcoal-colored sackcloth dress. The one driving said, Long Island, out to Metro fare bonus. <laughs> she floored the accelerator and my head slammed against the backrest. A pre-recorded voice came on over the speaker. Hi, this is Ganymede, cupbearer to Zeus, and when I'm not buying wine for the Lord of the Skies, I always buckle up. I looked down and found a large black chain instead of a seatbelt. I decided I wasn't that desperate. Yet. The cab sped around the corner of West Broadway, and the gray lady sitting in the middle screeched, Look out! Go left! Well, if you just give me the eye tempest, I could see that, the driver complained. Wait a minute. Give her the eye? I didn't have time to ask questions, because the driver swerved to avoid an oncoming delivery truck, ran over the curb with a jaw-rattling thump, and flew to the next block. Wasp, the third lady said to the driver. Give me the girl's queen, I want to bite it. You bet last time, Anger, said the driver, whose name must have been Wasp. It's my turn. It is not... The middle one, Tempest, screamed, Red light! Break! yelled Anger. Instead, Wasp floored the accelerator and rode up the curb, screeching round another corner and knocking over a newspaper box. She left my stomach somewhere back in Broom Street. Uh, excuse me, I said. Can you see? No! screamed Wasp from behind the wheel. 
No! Screamed Tempest from the middle. Of course! Screamed Anger by the shotgun window. I looked at Annabeth. They're blind. Um, not completely, Annabeth said. They have an eye. They got one eye? Yeah. Each? No. One eye total. Next to me, Tyson groaned and rubbed the seat. <laughs> Not feeling so good. <sighs> oh, man, I said, because I had seen Tyson get carsick on a school field trip, and it was not something you wanted to be within 50 feet of. Okay, okay, hang in there, big guy. Has anybody got a garbage bag or something? The three gray ladies were too busy squabbling to pay me any attention. I looked over at Annabeth, who was hanging on for dear life. I gave her a, why did you do this to me, look. Hey, she said, Gray Sister's taxi is the fastest way to camp. Then why didn't you take it from Virginia? That's outside their service area, she said, like that should have been obvious. They only serve greater New York's surrounding communities. We've had famous people in this cab, Anger exclaimed. Jason, you remember him? Don't remind me, Wasp wailed. We didn't have a cab back then, you old bat. That was three thousand years ago. Uh, give me the tooth. Anger tried to grab at Wasp's mouth, but Wasp swatted her hand away. Only as Tempest gives me the eye. No! Tempest screeched. You are there yesterday! I'm driving, you old hag! Excuses! That was your turn! Wasp swerved hard into Delancey Street, squishing me between Tyson and the door. She punched the gas and we shot up Williamsburg Bridge at 70 miles an hour. The three sisters were fighting for real now, slapping each other as Anger tried to grab at Wasp's face and Wasp tried to grab at Tempest's. With their hair flying and their mouths open, screaming at each other, I realized none of the sisters had any teeth except for Wasp, who had one mossy yellow incisor. Ugh. Instead of eyes, they had just closed, sunken eyelids, except for Anger, who had one bloodshot green eye that stared at everything hungrily, as if it couldn't get enough of everything it saw. Finally, Anger, who had the advantage of sight, managed to yank the tooth out of her sister Wasp's mouth. This made Wasp so mad she swerved toward the edge of Williamsburg Bridge, yelling, Give it back! Give it back! Tyson groaned and clutched his stomach. Ooh. Uh, if anybody's interested, I said, we're gonna die. Don't worry, Annabeth told me, sounding pretty worried. The Grey Sisters know what they're doing. They're really very wise. This coming from the daughter of Athena. But I wasn't exactly reassured. We were skimming along the edge of a bridge 130 feet above the East River. Wise! Anger grinned into the rearview mirror, showing off her newly acquired tooth. We know things. Every street in Manhattan, Wasp bragged, still hitting her sister. A couple of Nepal. The location that you seek, Tempest added. Immediately, her sisters pummeled her from either side, screaming, Be quiet, be quiet, he didn't even ask yet. What? I said. What location? I'm not seeking any. Uh, nothing, Tempest said. You're right, boy, it's nothing. 
Hey, tell me. No! They all screamed. Last time we told it was horrible, Tempest said. I tossed in a lake, Anger agreed. Years to find it again, Wasp moaned. And speaking of that, give it back. No! Yelled Anger. I! Wasp yelled. Gimme! <laughs> she whacked her sister Anger on the back. There was a sickening plop and something flew out of Anger's face. Anger fumbled for it, trying to catch it, but it only managed to bat off the back of her hand. The slimy green orb sailed over her shoulder into the back seat and straight into my lap. I jumped so hard my head hit the ceiling and the eyeball rolled away. I can't see! All three sisters yelled. Give me the eye! Wasp yelled. Give her the eye! Annabeth screamed. I don't have it! I yelled. There, by your foot! Annabeth said. Don't step on it! Get it! I'm not gonna pick that up! The taxi slammed against the guardrail and skimmed along with a horrible grinding noise. The whole car shuddered, billowing gray smoke as if it were about to dissolve from the strain. Going to be sick? Mm. Tyson warned. Annabeth! I yelled. Let Tyson use your backpack! Are you crazy? Get the eye! Wasp yanked the wheel and the taxi swerved away from the rail. We hurtled down the bridge toward Brooklyn, going faster than any human taxi. The Grey Sisters screeched and pummeled each other and reached out for the eye. At last, I steeled my nerves. I ripped off a chunk of my tie-dye t-shirt, which was already falling apart from all the burn marks, and used it to pick up the eyeball off the floor. Nice boy! Anger cried as if she somehow knew I had her missing peeper. Give it back! Not until you explain, I told her. What are you talking about? The location I seek. No time! Tempest cried. Accelerating! I looked out the window. Sure enough, cars and trees and whole neighborhoods were now zipping by in a gray blur. We were already out of Brooklyn, heading through the middle of Long Island. Percy? Annabeth warned. They can't find our destination without the eye. We'll just keep accelerating until we break into a million pieces. First, they gotta tell me, I said. Or I'm gonna open up the window and throw this eye into oncoming traffic. No! The Grey Sisters wailed. Too dangerous! I'm rolling down the window! Wait! The Grey Sisters screamed. Thirty! Thirty-one! Seventy-five! Twelve! They belted it out like a quarterback calling out a play. What do you mean? I said. That, that makes no sense. Thirty! Thirty-one! Seventy-five! Twelve! Anger wailed. That's all we can tell you. Now give us back the eye. We're almost to camp. We were off the highway now, zipping through countrysides of northern Long Island. I could see Half-Blood Hill ahead of us with its giant pine tree at the crest. Talia's tree, which contained the life force of a fallen hero. Percy, Annabeth called more urgently. Give them the eye now. I decided not to argue. I threw the eye into Wasp's lap. The old lady snatched it up and pushed the eye into her socket like somebody putting a contact lens in and blinked. <laughs> she slammed on the brakes. 
The taxi spun four or five times in a cloud of smoke and squealed to a halt in the middle of the farm road at the base of Half-Blood Hill. Tyson let out a huge belch. Better now. All right, I told the Grey Sisters. Now tell me what those numbers mean. No time, Annabeth opened the door. We have to get out now. I was about to ask why when I looked up at Half-Blood Hill and understood. At the crest of the hill was a group of campers, and they were under attack. And that is the end of our third chapter for the evening. That's it, folks. A three-chapter day, and it still didn't feel very long. Yeah, that is an enormous cliffhanger, isn't it? (laughs) Roll it, Van. Yeah, it was a big one. That's a big old cliffhanger right there. (laughs) Mighty Monkey, I'm sorry. Jade, oh no, what have I done to you all? You are very welcome, Luis. I am so glad you came to hang out today. Um, Dahlia, thank you very, very much for the gift subs. I appreciate it. Uh, Sandra says, we meet monster after monster uh, during... uh, uh, What? Monster after monster to honor the title of the book. (laughs) Swan Song says, more! We need more! And indeed, you can find more over on YouTube or on, uh, on Twitch next week so of course there are the links right there that will take you to all the places you need to know where to go the discord is we have where we have all of our midweek discussions it'll take you to the patreon where you can support the stream it will take you to uh my twitter my instagram that i use way less frequently than i should um and it will of course take you to um uh youtube where you can find back episodes of this and other books as well including the harry potter series in its entirety yes i did read over a million words live to all of you um you can find uh you can find um uh, the great gatsby you can find christmas carol you can find frankenstein you can find why am i missing yeah the hobbit there we go (laughs) everyone i hope you've enjoyed this uh big day right Dahlia, thank you very, very much for giving out those subs. I appreciate it a ton. Um, and I see we've got a couple of we've got a couple of new people in here. We've got Plague Deity, um, which is a new follow, but Plague Deity six. I definitely recognize Plague Deity. I think you've been in here before, right, Plague? It, for, it, and for whatever reason, I keep wanting to call you Plague Daddy. <laughs> um, uh, what up, Papa Nurgle? I don't know if any of y'all are into the sort of Warhammer forty k. Uh, lore. I've never played the game myself, but the lore is interesting. Um, maybe not for... It, it might not be compatible with this stream as much as for, like, uh, one of our RPG ones, but, yeah. Plague Deity, not Plague Daddy. <laughs> uh, let's see. Pangea? Pangea V2? I like that a lot. That's a cool name. Pangea V2. <laughs> they were, like, pre-Pangea um, uh, formations of Earth, too, right? That Pangea is not the only unified continent uh, 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 model. Anyway. <laughs> uh, Dahlia says, as a resident 40k fan here, lol, I've played everything. 
Have you really? Do you mean every game or do you mean you've played every army? I think I want to go I want to go Harlequins. If I if I play I'm going to play a Harlequin army. Not because of any particular reason other than just I like the lore around them. I'm really probably going to try um uh Grimdark Future before I try Formal 40k. Memnite says but he's talking like talking about them like they're back. Interesting. What are we talking here? Um, Rollet says I'm really curious who slash what Tyson is. Yeah, cuz I think we can guess at this point, right? He there are giants throwing these blazing bronze uh, uh, spheres at him. There's not a great chance that Tyson's just an everyday kid, right? We know that that um, that he is like. We know he is not uh, the the average student over at this like preparatory academy. But um, I think we're gonna be we're gonna be surprised to find out uh who exactly tyson is um and yeah i think uh, europe is bringing up over in the discord it sounds like there is some discrimination here and uh europe says i didn't expect that for annabeth nor did i it does seem kind of out of character for annabeth in a way um although frankly we have not seen her confronted with this very often um but still it's it is not something that we would expect off the bat. Uh, and as such, I think there's a lot more to Tyson than we might be able to understand yet. Uh, you will have to come back next week, same time. I read this every Thursday. Um, this is, of course, Flying Sidecar, a voice actor's venture through some stories that we all love. And this is, of course, when we are going through things like Harry Potter, Percy Jackson, and who knows what next? I don't. Well, we're going we're gonna to be taking a vote on it once we're done with this series. Very interesting indeed. Oh, man. Got itchy eyes. I've had crazy itchy eyes recently, and they don't really seem to be connected to my summer allergies, my spring allergies. Let's see, how many other... There are there are only so many seasons in a year. How did I imagine to... How did I manage to hit so many wrong ones immediately? Um, they're not quite like my fall allergies, which are occasionally spring allergies out here in SoCal as well. Um, but yeah, for some reason, my eyes are just crazy itchy all the time now. Um... Those pesky winter allergies. <laughs> exactly. Um, yeah, Memnite, Memnite is uh, officially summoning the Bean Queen. Well, everyone, I want to leave you all with a Chatterbrite question that we're probably going to talk about more in Discord as the week goes on. Um, I kind of want to hear uh, from all of you how we think how we think Percy Jackson's development has come thus far. I want you to compare and contrast book one, chapter one, well, we'll say chapter three, just to be fair to everyone. We'll say book one, chapters one, two, and three. Compare that Percy Jackson to book two, chapters one, two, and three. So there's our chatter break question. And I want to hear what y'all think of that. And frankly, it is probably going to be over in the Discord as well. Once again, for those of you in the back and also for Frizz, compare and contrast Percy Jackson beginning of book one to Percy Jackson beginning of book two. So um, there's our chatter break question. Memnite says still clueless, still clueless. And there does seem to be some of that, right? Rowlet agrees with this. Um, this is a, this is a common theme for Percy thus far to kind of be a little bit, he's not like super quick on the uptake necessarily. He's, he can be quick to action, but he has a hard time kind of following some of the threads that seem obvious perhaps to the reader. Um, 
Let's see. Jem says, Percy seriously needs to catch up in his mythology history. Uh, Europa says, so pretty dense. <laughs> Van says, Percy needs to play Smite, which I think is pretty great. Um, the I, I've not played the game before. I just mean, like, yeah, I think there are a lot of ways that you could feasibly go and learn about the Greek gods. Now, of course, part of the issue is a decent bit of Wikipedia is not in ancient Greek. I think we can agree. So perhaps there is an element of that. And, uh, you know, his, his difficulty focusing would probably make it challenging to really, like, study up in a dedicated way. Um, but, you know, watch some YouTube videos. I, I think I agree with you all. I think it would make sense either via Smite or YouTube videos or what have you. Percy does need to catch up on mythology. It would behoove him to know a little bit more about what's headed his way. Um, Cobra says he kind of saw the monster coming this time in the first book. He did not see them coming. Yeah. He's a little bit, he's a little bit quicker to notice. And I guess this is, you know, this is one of those, one of those things where we have seen some growth. He's, he's a little slow in the uptake as far as like, you know, larger sort of scheming type things, but he's ready for monsters when they show up now. There's not quite, there's not the same hesitation, um, before the whole, like Mrs. Dodds at the beginning of the first book, that sort of thing. He's a little bit quicker to really jump in there and get in on the action. Courier6 says, over in Discord, um, uh, there's definitely something a lot of characters probably wouldn't think about. Uh, and Percy would because of his terrible school experiences. Yeah, this this sort of like just recognizing Tyson as a person, right? And, you know, with a lot of folks, Grover included, um, actually, you know, Percy included, honestly, um, there's a difference between being human and being a person. I think being a person is more inclusive. And I think... Um, you know, Percy is one who recognizes the the personhood in people that that they are that there are people that they have things that they need, things that they want, wishes, desires, struggles. I think Percy has, if anything, a strong a, a strong instinct for. It's one of my favorite words. I've said it before here, gang. Sonder, not Sander, but Sonder. The idea, the the realization that other people have internal lives that are as rich and varied as your own. It's interesting, right? It seems like Percy might even be slightly better at this than Harry is, than Harry Potter is. And I, I actually kind of realized during my edit last week, it's, it's unfair for us to, at every single juncture, compare this back to Harry Potter. But, you know, I think if we're, if we're talking our main characters we're kind of using what we've what we've got to compare it against and i think between between the two it seems to me like percy is kind of the more empathetic one gem says i'm i'm sonder queen <laughs> Sond the queen queen of sonder sounds like or or like sonder queen sounds like something from a cthulhu mythos doesn't it thanks for jumping in it was great to have you here uh Memorite says uh, if we're talking about characters then Ginny is better than Annabeth and I don't think we need to I don't think we need to make that comparison necessarily I think when you know if we're making the comparison of you know un unlikely unintentional hero protagonist I think Harry to Percy is a pretty pretty apt comparison but I think you know Annabeth and Ginny like the only I think the only thing that makes those two things a comparison is their like relationship with the main character which we're not assessing them on the basis of the relationship that they have but simply on the on the fact that they do have a relationship with them and i think in general the world has seen many instances where it has gotten us into trouble it is a it is it is a i think it's a bad thing to consider people based on 
whether or not they're in a relationship with a certain other person. I think uh, people need to be considered on their own merits. Um, need to be, should be. And uh, so so we don't need teams is what I'm telling you. Team Frizzle's okay. I'm okay with Team Frizzle. Because again, we're, we're assessing Team Frizzle on who Frizz actually is. And we're not trying to compare Frizz against some other person simply because they, like, like it would be super weird for us to compare Frizz and Cass based on their, like, relationships with other people right that would be whack wouldn't it we could say we could compare the two of them as other things you know as as you know professionals or as um i don't know as as call of duty players but not simply based on their relationship to somebody else now i'm saying team team blue says gems <laughs> um and it says team ai yeah i'm i'm cool with i'm cool with a team frizzle y'all can join a team frizzle no, okay, well, I guess, okay, see, if it, I didn't realize who it was, Frizz has now just said, Frizz versus Bean Queen. If it were anyone else putting up that, <laughs> putting up that versus, I would be pretty quick to shoot it down, but hey, Bean Queen? I mean, it's you. I'm pretty sure Frizz just threw down some kind of, um, saccharin gauntlet. Some sort of confectionery glove has been thrown, uh... And she just threw into chat Frizz versus Bean Queen. I have no idea. <laughs> I've got no idea what you're fighting for. Uh, and Dahlia absolutely inexplicably has just said, I bless the demon within thee, Mama Cass. <laughs> As am I. Now, everyone, let's go talk about some bad beans i don't yeah i don't know why frizz had to turn it confrontational as a sign of gratitude honestly i want to ask y'all who's gonna sing a song tonight